Well, Merry Christmas, Church of 1122. How's everybody doing today? Doing good? Awesome. Hey, uh, welcome to our Christmas service. Uh, Our Christmas Eve service is on you, so you do that whenever, and we'll talk about that at the end of the service. But we're so glad that you're here um, for our Christmas service. Uh, A couple of housekeeping things before we get going. Uh, First of all, I said I'd wear a sweater, so you'll get used to it. I have, okay? If you're a guest, that's how I dress every week, so get over it, all right? (laughs) Um, also, you remember last week we said that in January, on January the 11th, we're going to start a brand new service at 1.30, a live service right in here. Yay. And so we wanted you to, to take this uh, hunter safety orange card and go home and pray over it. And then regardless of your prayer, move to the 1.30 service. We need like everybody from this side of the room over here to start attending 1.30 service. The reason why is because at the Church of 1122 in January, well, really two things happen. The gym fills up and the church fills up. And then three weeks into your gym membership, you quit going, all right? And then, but everybody keeps, they keep coming to our church. And so we need to make room for the thousand or so people that's New Year's resolution is to go to heaven. And so we want to make room for them. And so we need a bunch of you to move to the 130 service, particularly the 1122 service. We need you. If you go to 522, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're awesome. If you're worshiping in the sanctuary, which is a video venue through those doors, thank you, thank you, thank you. But for those of you sitting in here right now, we need you to move to 1.30, January 11th. I'm moving. I'll be here. I'll be live at 1.30 and right here. So do that. Also, this is typically the part of the service where I say, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. But this morning's just a little bit different. I need you to open up your notes, okay? Open up your notes, your bulletin that you got when you came in. Because um, <clears throat> this week, the producer called me on Thursday and said, hey, I see that we're you're teaching out of the NIV and not the ESV this morning. Those are different translations of the Bible. Or is it because the NIV captures the Christmas story better? And I said, or it could be I hit the wrong button when I sent in my notes. And so we printed the NIV. I typically speak out of the ESV. And if you're like, I don't know the NIV, ESV. I've heard of DMV and Run DMC, and I used to listen to Snoop D-O-double-G, but what's the NIV, ESV? (laughs) It's just the Bible, okay? You'll be fine. But just uh, grab onto your notes, and here we go. We're going to dig into like what is traditionally known as the Christmas story. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, God's Word says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. There's a couple of things here already that are so important. One is that Almighty Sovereign God orchestrates the everyday events of your life and mine to bring about his purposes and plan. And so God is using a pagan king and a pagan governor um, and a pagan government to do exactly what needs to happen so that Jesus, the, the one that the prophets proclaimed that would be here to take away the sins of all mankind, would be born in the right place at the right time. And not only did God use the governments 2,000 years ago, but he orchestrates the everyday events of your life and mine, the pleasures and the pain, for his own purpose and plan. And it's not just true 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. It's also true today. The fact that you are here today is because God, the almighty, sovereign king of the universe, wanted you to be here today. You thought your plans for this morning just fell apart and this was your only option. It was your only option and God orchestrated it for you to be here. You thought that, that when she asked you to go out with her this morning that you were going to brunch and you pulled in. You're like, I didn't know Dixon Wings had brunch and now you're at church. It's not a, a ploy of her to get you to go out with her. It's not. It's because God Almighty 
worked it out so that you and I would be here this morning. And not only that, that Jesus was born in the line of David, and this is a big, big deal. Because prophet after prophet after prophet talked about a Messiah that would come. And Jesus was born at just the right time in just the right place with just the right parents. Verse 5. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there is your manger scene. And so I I do have to say, I've really enjoyed all the Facebook pictures of your updated manger scenes where you put your red dragons right there by baby Jesus. And if you weren't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just listen to last week's message online. So I really love that. And and we're all pretty familiar with the manger scene, but our manger scenes are super clean, right? If you've ever seen one, it's like fresh hay and a couple old guys from the church in their bathrobes and a little, you know, baby doll Jesus that never cries. And that's fine. Have your manger scene. That's cool. But in reality, this is a horse stable. And it's not even like made of wood. It was probably, you know, in the side of a mountain in a cave here. And this is where like horses and animals live and ate and does, does what happens after you eat. This is not a clean situation. This is a mess. And Jesus was born in the mess. And, and, and of all the places that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was to be born, it was not in a palace, it was not in a castle with a silver spoon in his mouth, but he was born into the messiness that is this just average, everyday horse stable in a little town that's not even that great of a town, Bethlehem. You see, and he knew what he was stepping into. And even if I were to take you into a legit manger, first century manger, and you'd be like, this doesn't smell awesome, it's worse than you think. You see, because we don't think about being born here on earth as like this awful, atrocious kind of thing. And the reason is because we live here. So we kind of grow accustomed to the wretchedness and the black-heartedness and the depravity of a crooked and depraved generation that we live in. We just get used to it because it's the earth that we live in. But for almighty, perfect, sovereign Son of God, Jesus, to step out of heaven, to step out of the glory of God where the angels were worshiping him day in and day out, and to step out of that clean perfection onto this earth. It was a big deal, bigger than we can even get our minds around. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus was obedient to come to earth and be dressed as a servant. He didn't even come as, as, as a king or an emperor or a prince, but he came as just this little carpenter's boy born, born in a manger, in the mess. only way I can kind of get my mind around it is this. Um, you know, if, you've had, if you have little children or, or back when your kids were little, remember how important it was just to keep them clean and healthy, right? And my wife is so OCD that it, it's really beneficial for my kids. But I, she's on the front row, so I'm going to kind of not explain it fully for the sake of my afternoon. But, like, she keeps our house so clean that people come over to visit and they're like, are you guys putting your house on the market? And I'm like, no, this is just how it looks, Okay. And, and she's going to rub her skin off with like, uh, you know, a little, that, that little hand wash stuff, right? It's clean, clean, clean. And then when our kids were little, super clean. In fact, um, one of our staff kids got sick this week. And when, as soon as my wife heard about it, she called me. She said, our kids are going into the bubble until after, after we open presents on the 25th, right? So it, you sneeze near her and she's like, God's going to have to save you. I ain't talking to you. That's how she just is. And especially for our kids around the holidays. So <clears throat> it was several years ago and we were heading up north. We were going to Virginia, um, to, to see my in-laws, and, and we're heading up 95, and you just got to know this about me. When I travel, I'm not the stop-a-bunch-of-times guy. I don't like stopping. We've just passed the bottle around the truck. You can deal with it on your own, you know? 
We'll dehydrate our children before we leave. We pack food in the truck. I just, I just want to get there faster than I got there last year. That's my goal. That's my goal. Kind of how I live. In fact, I'm driving down 95, and if there's a car in front of me, I feel like I'm losing. And so I'm just, the whole time, I'm just passing people, all right? Well, <clears throat> some things get out of my control. And, and here's why, too. It, like, I call my father-in-law before I leave. I'm like, Randy, I'm about to get in the truck. And we, we pull into the driveway. He'll be in the driveway like seven hours, 13 minutes. Because, you know, that's four minutes faster than last year, Joby. Thank you, Randy. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. That's where we are, okay? So I'm competing. Well, last year, <clears throat> my plan goes around, or no, this years ago, probably six years ago. JP's like around two years old, and he's like, Dad, I got to go to the bathroom. And you know at that point in your child's life, that was a big deal. So we pull over, we're gassing up, and we're at a truck stop on the side of 95 at Christmas time. Now, listen, we're woodsmen. We're okay with the woods, but just the way the things worked out, we had to go into the bathroom of the truck stop on I-95. And I can remember taking my precious little, very clean, healthy child with blonde hair. He has like glowing Ric Flair blonde hair, okay? If you don't know who Ric Flair was, he was an evangelist back in the 80s, okay? <laughs> Woo, right? So, <clears throat> and I remember taking him in there and just seeing even the door. I was like, oh, no. And so you kind of, Jackie Chan, oh, get in the room, and then you're in the bathroom, and you look around, and you're like, what happened in here? I mean, how is the whole room wet? Was, was there a car wash in the, I mean, seriously. And so then you find that one stall that's sort of halfway open, and you get in. And I just remember, <clears throat> without going into too much detail, I just took JP by the shoulders, and I just aimed him and went, go, buddy, Go. And told him, just whatever you do, but just don't touch anything, okay? And then afterwards, just don't let any of it get on you. And I kind of think, I'm taking a little liberty here, but just give me a break, all right? Maybe on Christmas Eve, as Jesus is planning the, I mean, you know, the second person in the Trinity, God the Son, is saying, hey, 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 angels, come here. Hey, I'm going there. I'm going there tomorrow. Maybe they leaned in and were like, Earth? Have you been to earth? Do you know how gross it is? Now, again, we don't think it's gross because we live in it. It's like, like your college apartment. Like you didn't realize it smelled bad until your parents showed up. I was like, what is that smell? That's my roommate Ted. What do you mean? Like you just live with it. You get used to it. That's kind of what it's like in the, in the crookedness that we live in. But when almighty, perfect Jesus is going to step down on, into earth as a baby in a manger, maybe the angels are like, just whatever you do, just don't touch anything just don't let any of it get on you. And yet of all the places to be born, Jesus is born into the messiness, not just of earth general, but into the messiness of a manger. And guess what? He knew exactly what he was stepping into. And he continues to be a pro at stepping into the mess of your life and the mess of my life. And that's where he does his best work. And so... She gives birth to her firstborn, a son. She wraps him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, when you and I hear shepherd, we think, you know, Christmas play. We think shepherds are awesome. Maybe you know about King David was a shepherd. So you think shepherds were cool. Shepherds were not cool. Shepherds were the lowest rung on the socioeconomic ladder. Shepherds, um, they, were, they were notoriously thieves and robbers. They were, they were 
They told lies. They stole from people. It was so bad that if you were a shepherd, you couldn't be a citizen of that country. One, you didn't have a permanent address. You just kind of wandered around, tried to take advantage of people and manipulate people to make a living. Um, they didn't smell awesome. They could not, their, their testimony would not hold up in a court of law. They couldn't hold public office. These were the lowest of the low of the low. These were the rejects of society that were the shepherds. And of all the people in the entire world that Almighty God decides to send to herald the good news of the coming Messiah, he looks at the shepherds, the outcasts, the down and out, and he goes, those are my people. And so shepherds are out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You've just got to know this. Why were they terrified? Well, there's plenty of reasons. First of all, they're just camping out at night, and when heaven cracks open and here comes an angel, you're going to be scared a little bit, all right? That's part of it. Secondly, when a messenger from God shows up, most of us don't think, oh, this is going to go well, right? If you're anything like me, when you were in grade school and the, uh, the intercom would come on, this is happening weekly for me, uh, could you please send Joby Martin to the office? I never thought, oh, I probably won an award. Never. <laughs> right? When my mom would be like, wait till your dad gets home, I knew when dad got home, he would say, is there something I need to know about? And I go, well, actually, there's three things you need to know about, but why don't you go first, and we'll deal with the one that you found out about. Okay, that was kind of my predisposition. And so when angels show up, the shepherds probably are not into things that are good. The angels probably don't show up, and the, and the shepherds are like, oh, we're glad you guys are here, angels from God, because we were just doing disciple group and trying to memorize Deuteronomy together. And how do you pronounce this word? No. I have camped with men before. It does not go holy. You know what I'm saying? The other thing that's just true is this. These are angelic warriors from God. Every time in the scripture that I can find when the angels show up on the scene, people get terrified. Grown men that are used to fighting wolves get terrified. You know what this means? That angels are not skinny chicks in their underwear, nor are they fat little babies with bow and arrows, okay? These are like angelic warriors from on high. And so these grown woodsmen are terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. What we're going to do for the remainder of our time is I just want to unpack this proclamation, this first heralding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and let us know how the angels are really saying this to us today too. The first thing they say to the shepherds in the field is this. They say, do not be afraid. I've told you this before, but in the Bible, 365 times the Bible has some kind of version of do not be afraid or fear not or be strong and courageous or don't worry or don't be anxious or be anxious for nothing. 365 times. Why do you think God tells us every single day to not be afraid? Because every single one of us is filled with fear. Now, it's kind of unfortunate that in English, um, the Bible over and over says, do not be afraid and fear God. Those are two different things. To fear God means like a holy reverence that God is bigger than you, that God is smarter than you, that God is stronger than you, and that God can do with you whatever he wants to do. But that's different than being afraid. You see, if you fear God, then you don't have to be afraid. They're two different things. And, and I've told you this before, but the opposite of faith is not doubt. If you've got a lot of doubts, then you'd make a great disciple. Read the Gospels. The opposite, of, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. 
The opposite of faith is fear. And the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I think here's why. Because fear always paralyzes. Fear always paralyzes. Fear causes you to just kind of bundle up and do nothing. And faith always produces action. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're a Christian that you're not scared of stuff. But, but even in, in being scared by faith, you move forward because you know God's in charge. So, yeah, you can be scared. Just don't be afraid. Don't be paralyzed. But by faith, step out of the boat. By faith, just move into whatever it is God has called you to move into. And without faith, it's impossible It's impossible to please God. I mean, it's how this church got started. When Pastor Jerry Sweat looked at me and said, I think it's time that, that we launch a church with you as the senior pastor, there was a lot of fear. But by faith, I thought, well, here we go, and just stepped into it. And so the opposite of faith, in doubt, it's fear. And so over and over and over, God will tell us, do not be afraid. Here's another reason I think the angels start with don't be afraid. It's because we're all afraid. <laughs> I mean, deep down in the core of your being, you're afraid. You're afraid. It's evidence that something went wrong. Now, I'm outside of my pay grade here. I can explain the Bible, I think, in a way that we can understand. But as I was just evaluating every pastoral counseling situation I've been in in the last six months, the root of every situation I'm trying to walk with people through is fear. It's fear. The question I keep coming back to over and over and over when I'm talking to people about their anxiety or their worry or the fact that they have to be in control of everything or the unknown or insecurity or your depression, the root of it every single time is fear. And my question to you is this, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Because what it's like, it's like you've invited fear to move into your house and he brought some roommates with him. And his roommates are anxiety and worry and depression and control and jealousy and greed and debt. It's all of those things. But the core, the root of it all is fear. And fear is the opposite of faith. And without faith, without faith, you can't please God. And maybe that's why God said that I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And so the angels show up on the scene and they say, do not be afraid. To which if the shepherds are honest, they're like, well, how do we do that? First of all, you're kind of freaky looking, okay? You're kind of scaring me. And from what I've heard, God's perfect. I'm not. It sounds like I have a lot to be afraid of. And I've been wrestling with this fear my whole life. How do I just make it go away? I mean, it's like trying to sleep. How do you do that? Just, it makes it worse, doesn't it? Like how many of you worry about not being worried? You do. A lot of you do. I'm so anxious about being anxious. It's just crazy. And so the angels show up and say, okay, here's the baseline is that every single one of us at the core of who we are, we've got some fear in there, and do not be afraid. Well, it's impossible, right. So I'm gonna give you the solution. So they say, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. Now, good is a relative term, okay? Good is a relative term. Like if you were to ask me, are you good at basketball? Well, it depends on what you mean. If I'm playing my son, JP, I can dominate, dominate. I can out-dribble him. I can steal the ball from him every time. I've got more block shots, and you know what to do with. I mean, I can dunk on the Nerf hoop in his room. I am incredible. But you let LeBron walk in the room, and I'm the nine-year-old. Okay? That's how that goes. So good is a relative term. And, And for something to be good, it has to enter into dark places. And so the good news comes right after the diagnosis of, listen, there is something wrong with all of us. We're all full of fear, but I've got good news. Let me tell you what good news is not. What if the angels would have shown up and said, hey, listen, I've got good news. God's good. You're bad. Try harder. That is not good news. 
Now, a lot of you have heard that in church for a long time, and that is not the good news of Jesus Christ. That would be depressing. Because I don't know about you, but I've tried real hard, failed over and over and over. And you're going to be a failure too. Do you know how I know this? Because here comes New Year's resolutions. If you'd got them right this, last year, you wouldn't have to do them this year, right? I mean, how many promises have you broken to yourself? Try harder is not a good solution. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. Here's something else about good news too. Now, if you're kind of a Bible study person, and, and especially if you go to a church like this, a gospel-centered church where we talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus over and over and over, sometimes when you hear good news, you know that good news equals gospel, and you'll jump to the cross so quickly that you forget that the good news is just good. That what the angels are saying is that, hey, listen, God's way of doing this life, it's just better. I mean, if you do this life your way, it's going to be rough. You do this thing God's way, I'm just telling you, I'm not saying that it's going to be perfect. You will face trouble of of many kinds, but it's just better. Doing finances God's way is better. Doing relationships God's way is just better. Doing friendships God's way is just better. Forgiveness God's way is just better. Parenting God's way is just better. It's just better. It's what Jesus called an abundant life. He said the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you could have an abundant or a better life. And the angels are saying, listen, when you do things the way the Creator created them to be done, it's just better. Like, could you use your vacuum cleaner as a sledgehammer? Yeah twice and then it's a mess and some of you are not using your life for what you've been designed for you're out of step with what the creator created you to be and right now you think no but it's going okay you're one swing away and the whole thing's going to fall apart and then the angel shows up and says don't be afraid i bring you good news and i love this that will cause great joy Now, there's a fundamental difference between joy and happiness. And as Americans, we are hardwired for happiness. In fact, in our core values as Americans, we have written it in there that we are for the pursuit of life. Man, praise God. What a godly pursuit. And liberty, praise God. What a godly pursuit. And the pursuit of happiness. God save our souls because that is nothing but idolatry. I mean, how pitiful is it that in the top three things that we value, happiness is one of them. And let me tell you why. Look, I hope you're happy, whatever. But here's the deal, is that happiness is so fickle because it's based on your happenings. It's just true. Happiness is so fickle because it's just based on your happenings. I mean, the weather changes, and there goes the happiness meter, right? Or to every football fan in the room, listen, I know firsthand about this because I'm a Georgia Bulldog through and through, all right? And I, I, know that, um, I know that I made fun of the Gators a couple weeks ago about jean shorts and stuff. But listen, the, the, uh, well, that's true too. But listen, the motto of the Georgia Bulldogs is wait till next year, isn't it? I mean, it's just us. When we played Georgia Tech, JP and I were watching this. Our whole family gathers around. And if you don't love the Bulldogs as much as I do, you can't even come to my house during a game. That's how bad we are. Me, you know. And so we're watching us play Georgia Tech, and we score with 18 seconds to go in the game, and we go up against Georgia Tech, and JP is on the couch jumping up and down. We won, we won, we won. And I went, hold on, buddy. We've been here before. Okay, let's just see how this plays out. And then we squib kick it with 18 seconds to go. Who squib kicks it with 18 seconds to go? Huh? How can I run a church and know more about how to win a game in the last 18 seconds than professionals? Whatever. And then in overtime, in overtime, we throw an interception and lose the game. And then my little boy goes from yay to crying. And it goes from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And I think, I don't even think I'm going to go to church tomorrow. That's what I thought. And you know what bothers me the most is how much it bothers me. 
It does. And if you could see the little private text between me and Pastor Ryan Stone and Pastor Brian Britt, also Georgia Bulldog fans, you wouldn't let us be your pastors. That's the truth, okay? It's not awesome. And when you are on the pursuit of happiness, it lets you down every single time because it's based on your happenings. But when you find Jesus, then joy never ends because Jesus never changes. And this is how you can bump into Christians that really love Jesus and really know Jesus. And all of their external circumstances are jacked up. And yet, and they're not happy. Beware of the person whose life's falling apart. But they're just happy, happy, happy. They're crazy. That's what's wrong with them, all right? So they can be sad and yet somehow have this joy that's found in Jesus. And they can say, hey, look, it ain't okay, but it's going to be okay because I know he's still got the whole world in his hands. And, and Jesus never changes, so your joy can be unwavering. Listen, I, I just want to be a prophet real quick, right? Let me tell you something true. Newsflash, this year at Christmas, you are going to be so disappointed. Thoroughly disappointed. Yeah, you are. You are. On, on many ends of the spectrum, you're going to drive all the way to wherever and be with your family and then be reminded that Jesus had to command you to love one another because you can't stand your sister-in-law. Okay? Merry Christmas. Or... You're going to give your kids gifts, and, and mark my words, by 4 o'clock on, on, on Christmas Day, they're going to come to you and say, Daddy, I'm bored. And you're going to go, what? What? Bored? And then and I say all this old man stuff. But when I was a kid, I didn't get presents like you get. So you get back in your room, and you enjoy that thing we got you, son. And you spend $80 on a video game, and one hour they come out, they're like, we beat it. What do we do next? You're like, shut up. I'm going to stab you with the present I got you. Enjoy when I was a kid, we had a paddle with a ball and a rubber band. Three weeks of my life, that's it. Okay? My video game had one button. We wore it out. Okay? You, you will. You'll be thoroughly disappointed. Thoroughly disappointed. Or you'll have that, that person that gets you the worst gifts in the world, and you open it, and you're like, and it's like an insult. What does this mean? Or, or some of you, some of you, you even get like the greatest gift ever. I mean, some of you are going to get the iPhone 6 Plus, and you're going to open it up, and you're like, oh, all of my appetites are fully and finally satisfied. Look how big it is. Look, and it's as big as this Bible. And you're like, I'm going to call every, and listen, you remember just a few years ago, if your phone was big, you were a dork. You had to have a little phone. Look at my phone. It's this big. Hey, how you doing? I don't know. You're right? And then now, your phone has to be this big, and you're like, oh, look what I can do. Hey, I got the iPhone 6, and it's huge. And then you're going to put it in your back pocket, and, and you're going to sit on it. It's going to break, and you're going to feel fat. Like, oh, my fat butt just broke my present, and you'll be depressed. It's just true. Tell me I'm lying. Here's how I know. Watch, watch. Ready? You remember what you got last year for Christmas? Me either. No idea. Can't remember. Third time doing the sermon, still can't remember. Can't remember what I got my wife. Can't remember what she got me. I'm sure it was lovely. I love you too. Can't remember what I got my kids. I know I bought my kid, my presents from them to me. I can't even remember what I bought me from them. And yet, what do we do? Every single year, hop on the merry-go-round of normality one more time. One more lap in the cul-de-sac of stupidity. Did last year's presence make a difference? Nope. Hop on in. Sleigh bells ring. Let's take another turn. There we go. That's a fact. I love, I love, love that Christmas is so materialistic. I love it. I hope it never changes. You know why? Because every single year, it exposes the lie that that stuff will not fully and finally satisfy. And I hope and pray when you open all your Christmas presents, I hope you get everything you want, and then when you open the last one, you're depressed. I pray that happens in your soul. 
So that maybe we can take our eyes off the presence and look in the manger and see that that's where joy is found. And when you're in, when you're in Jesus, you can, avoid, avoid, and you can enjoy all that junk and, in, and avoid all the trappings of that junk. And so that's why the angels don't say anything about being happy. But they say everything about finding true joy. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now I'm a little partial to the all the people. And here's why. Because the church of 1122 is a movement for all people. We stole this right from the angels, okay? And, and imagine how that would land on a shepherd. That when the angel showed up and said, hey, there's, today the Savior is going to be born and he's for all people. And the, the shepherds are probably like, well, you don't mean all people. You don't, you don't mean people like us because we're outcast and downcast and rejects. And the angel's like, no, no, no. He's for you people. And then, yeah, but, but, but I thought Jesus came for the good people. He did. He did. He came for the good people too. But I thought Jesus came for the church people. He did. And in fact, listen, if you're a good church person, I've got good news for you this morning that you too can be saved. That's good news. That's good news. If you put all the Christmas accounts together, here's what we find, that the lowly shepherds show us that Jesus came for the people that were really good at being bad. That's kind of my crowd. That the magi, when they show up on the scene, the, the wise men from the east, it shows us that a part of all people means that, that Jesus came for every tribe and every tongue and every nation because the wise men's skin color wasn't the same as Mary and Joseph. And Jesus, would, the angels would step in and be like, yep, they're a part of the all people. And even the religious people that trust God and do what he says, like Mary and Joseph, that they needed a savior too. And Jesus came for all people. The church of 1122 is a movement for all people, all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. That means all kind of people. That means all colored people. That means all age people. That means regardless of what you've done, what you believe, what you're doing, it doesn't matter. If you fall in the all people category, then you are welcome here because that was Jesus' invitation for all people. And so they say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Now listen. The angels didn't say, hey, go check this out later, but this was today. Hey, I've talked to some people that said, hey, one day, you know, I'm checking out this Jesus thing, and one day I think I might become a Christian, but I'm going to do some other stuff today. That's a dangerous proposition. The angels want them to understand that today, today, a man that is really hungry and is presented with a free meal will not put that off to hold on to his hunger. And so I would, I would invite you that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Now, this is important. Of all the things the angels want to declare is they want the shepherds to know and they want us to know that Jesus was born to be a savior. Now, it's interesting. They didn't call him teacher. And he was a teacher. He grew up and he taught. He did that. They didn't call him rabbi. And he grew up and he was a rabbi. That was true. And they didn't call him a religious figure. But he was. He started a whole new religion, okay? But they don't call him any of those things. They call him a savior. Why? Because he came to save not to just teach, not to just set up an example. He didn't just come to do miracles. The reason that he did miracles in the gospel was to prove that he was the Savior. Every single time he did miracles, it was never for us. It was for him and his glory. So that when people would argue with him, be like, I don't know if I believe what you're saying is true about you being the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to God. Be, okay, hold on one second. Hey, dead man, get up. All right, see you later. What was that you were saying? I need to rethink my argument. That's why he did miracles, but they don't call him a miracle worker. They call him a Savior. Why? Because you and I need to be saved. From what? Us. 
sin, death, destruction. See, because here's the truth. God's standard is perfection. The Bible says, be holy, for I am holy. Be perfect, for I am perfect. That God is perfection, and his standard is perfection. Guess what? That immediately means we got a problem. Because it's also true that every single one of us in the room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And some of you will say, no, 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 pastor, I am a good person. Well, first of all, you're arrogant, which makes you a bad person right out of the gate. So get over yourself. Yeah, we've all messed up. Doesn't take a lot of convincing for us to all agree. Something has gone horribly wrong here. I mean, let's just be honest. How many times have you broken a promise to you? You can't even keep your own standard. I can't even keep my own standard, much less God's standard of perfection. So God's standard is perfection. You and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've been Lord of our own lives, every single one of us, on the inside and out. And God is perfectly just. You know what that means? That if God is perfect and if God demands perfection and if God is perfectly just and we want a just God, we do not want a moody God that just wakes up one day and is like, ah, I think I'm going to wipe you out. No, 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 no. You want a chance. You want God to be a just God. That means that all sin must be paid for. And, and, and I think this is a legit question. I remember, especially when I first became a Christian, I used to think, God, why don't you just forgive everybody? I mean, I forgive people all the time, right? And people sin against me often. But I'm so holy and righteous that I just be like, I forgive you, Aww. right? The problem is, I'm a wretched, black-hearted sinner just like you. So, so I can forgive because I am not infinitely perfect. But when you and I sin against an almighty, infinite God, it requires an everlasting payment or punishment. And if those things are true, that means there's one of two options. Option number one, you can self-pay. You can pay for your own sin. There's a little problem there. You don't have enough money to pay back the debt that you owe God. So the option is an eternal payment of your whole life. That's it. That's one of the options. But it's kind of like paying the minimum on a credit card. You pay every month, and the balance never goes down. Okay? We call that hell, being eternally separated from God. You can try to pay for your own sin. The other option is what the angels are talking about here, that Jesus came as a Savior. The theologians call it substitutionary atonement. That just means somebody else pays. And the only one that could pay that infinite debt is the one that lived the perfect life. And so Jesus grows up to be fully God, fully man. He lives a perfect life and he goes to the cross and he makes the payment for our sin. And so the two options are, all right, God, I don't need you. I'm going to reject you. I've got this on my own. Good luck. It's an eternal rejection of God. The other option is I'll take your payment of the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be Savior. And so what happens if you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, theologians call it double imputation. It means that the debt that you have incurred is imputed or put on Jesus, and, and the righteousness, the perfect life that he lived, is imputed or put on you. You switch places. The best way I know to think about it is this. Imagine that you went onto your bank account, you logged on, and, and you see your account there, and you're a trillion dollars in debt. Now, I know it's impossible to believe that somebody could be a trillion dollars in debt, but if you were a trillion dollars in debt and you realize it, and then, and then you know what you think, you think, oh, no. Even if I work every day, overtime, time and a half, the rest of my life and get two jobs, I can't pay back a trillion dollars. I don't even have the ability to pay it all back. And then God steps into your life and goes, hey, I'll make a deal with you. Check out my account. You go into God's account, and it's a bazillion dollars. I mean, so many zeros, it runs off the edge of your big old 
iPad, I mean, I, whatever, iPhone 6 plus screen, right? It's just, and he goes, all right, here's the deal. If you'll make me king of your life, you'll put me in charge of your life. If you'll surrender to me. Let me be in charge instead of you. Here's the deal. We'll switch accounts. And I'll take your trillion dollars debt, and I'll pay for it. And I'll give you all of my earnings and all of my savings and all of my blessings. And you say to God, yeah, but God, that's not fair. And God would go, right, right. There's nothing in my book about being fair. I'm not really into fair. I'm into perfection. I'm into righteousness. I'm into grace. I'm into mercy. I'm into justice. And if you'll take this deal, if you'll take this switch and we switch accounts and you surrender your life to me and you get my account and I get your account, then my perfection is met because my perfect son pays the debt. My justice is met because I doled out the punishment on him instead of on you. That my righteousness is met because I have made you righteous by what Christ did. And my, my grace and mercy is met because it's not fair. But I'm not into fair. So the way the Bible would say it is in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who was without sin to be sin for us. That we would be made his righteousness. That he took, takes our two accounts. And for anybody that would receive him and surrender their life to Jesus... You could switch accounts. And so that's what the angels are talking about when they say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Now, here's what's interesting, is that they say to you. To you. Because look, I'm just going to be honest. In Jacksonville, this close to Christmas, most of you that are here have heard this spiel before. And you actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But I don't know if you think he's the Messiah or Savior to you. I mean, you might think, well, I'm, I'm sure he's the Messiah to that guy next to me. Because during the singing, he had, like, had his eyes closed. He was all into it. But I've done some stuff that has, that has disqualified me forever. Well, that's what the shepherds thought too. And yet the angels want them to know that in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. I think there's a lot of people in church this weekend that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but the problem is you've never made it personal. He's never been your Savior. And I think that's why they say He's been born to you. He is Messiah, no problem, the Lord. That's why here at the Church of 1122, we talk often about surrendering your life to the Lordship of Christ. Did you know that the Bible is very clear that you could believe all the right things about Jesus and that does not make him your Lord? That until you surrender your life to his lordship, you are still lost. The Bible is very clear that there will be some people that when the, when the end comes and you're standing in line to get into heaven, that you might be surprised that you don't get in and you could pass all the theology exams. You've been in the right church for a long time, but if you've never come to that place where he became your Savior, where you personally surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ and the throne of his kingdom starts in your heart. So my question is very simple. Even if you believe all the right stuff about the baby in the manger, that he grew up, that he died on the cross and that he resurrected on the third day, is he your Lord? Have you ever come to that place where you have surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ? Because when that happens, here's what happens. The angel said to these men, this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those 
on whom his favor rests. You know whom his favor rests? The people that surrender their life to the Lordship of Christ. The angels say, this is what happens when you surrender to Jesus. There's two things. The first thing that happens is worship. They gather together and they sing glory to God in the highest. Listen, even if you're a Christian and you come face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you begin to realize the, the depths of your depravity, then your only response is to praise God. Because I'm telling you, if you knew how dark I am and was, if you knew, if you just knew how many people I'd hurt, the awful things that go on in my mind, if you knew how many people I'd lied to and manipulated and done wrong, I mean, if you knew how many people I'd abused and used and took advantage of, if you knew the depths of my depravity, there's no way you'd let me be the pastor. No way. But when the cross reminds me of the depth of my depravity, louder than that, it reminds me that therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when I began to think back of the muck and the mire that Christ saved me from, not because I did anything, I I felt like I was running as hard as I could from God, but praise God, He can outrun me. And He came and He got me. And he rescued me, and he saved me, and he adopted me, and he lavished his love upon me that I could be called a son of God. I've got one response when I begin to realize that, and that's thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's my only response. And we say praise God, glory to God in the highest. You know why some of you don't worship? Some of you don't worship because you have not experienced what it means to be rescued from the muck and the mire. Because going to church for you is a hobby. Please get another hobby. Seriously, buy a boat. Go do something. When you walk in this place and you kneel at the foot of the cross, man, you know that you don't deserve it. But God rescued and saved you from death and destruction. And that's why we gather in this place and we say, thank you, God. The other thing that happens when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ is peace. He says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. You know what every one of us want for Christmas this year? Peace, peace. We're all on this peace pursuit. And we pursue it in all kinds of different ways. Some people pursue it with religion. Some people pursue it with the things of this world. Some people think some guy or some girl is going to give you peace. They're not, they're not. Peace is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. It just is. In fact, if you pursue peace, you're going to just be frustrated. You meet Jesus, and peace and rest are a byproduct. See, this baby Jesus in the manger, he grows up to be a man, to be a teacher, to be the Lord and Savior. And in his teaching, in Matthew chapter 11, he gives this invitation. And listen how similar it is to the declaration of the angels. This is Jesus talking. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You know who that is? every single one of us come to me all all it's an invitation for all people come to me all who are who labor and are heavy laden that's those of you that are tired of trying to be so good to prove that you're worth being being savable it's exhausting isn't it to try to live up to that that church obedience list that's also to every one of you that have been running from god and running from god And every single time you find yourself just deeper and deeper and deeper in the quicksand that is this world, it's exhausting, isn't it? And so Jesus says to you, hey, if that's you, if you're a part of the all, won't you come? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The crazy thing is, is if you need rest, you can't go looking for rest. You chase after rest, and it'll just make you more tired. But you come to Jesus, and you get rest, or you get peace. 
And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's that exchange that he's talking about. He says, you know, that debt that you've incurred because of your sin, whether it was your sin of rebellion or your sin of religion, it doesn't matter. Hey, give me that. I'll take that. And I tell you what, you can take, you can take my load, you can take my yoke, and my yoke is easy and my yoke is gentle. Well, what do I have to do, Jesus? Nothing. I did it on the cross. Yeah, but come on, that's not how it works. I got to do something. Uh-uh. Actually, I do it in you and through you. And as a result of you surrendering to what I do in you, then you just draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. That's how that works. You abide in me, you stay close to me, I'll stay close to you. And we're never going to leave this moment when you surrender at the cross. We're just going to stay kneeled at the cross for all of our days. And you know what the result of that is? Here's what he says. Rest for your soul. Let me just tell you the truth. That's what you want for Christmas. Again, you might get a car or clothes or a sweater, whatever you get, fine. You'll forget by next year. But you know what you won't forget? Is if you ever get to experience from the Almighty God this promise right here, of rest for your soul, a peace that transcends understanding. The God Almighty, sovereign King of the universe that was born in a manger 2,000 years ago that went to a cross that left an empty tomb could take up residence in the inner parts of your soul and that you would find peace. See, that's the message of Christmas. So here's the point. The reason that Jesus came and was born on this earth is not, it's not because you and I are mistakers in need of a life coach, but we're sinners in need of a Savior. That Jesus did not come just to give, be a good example, to start a new religion, to teach us some things to make our life better. That is not the point. The point is that you and I are sinners in need of a Savior. And let's just be honest. At Christmas time, especially here in Jacksonville, almost everybody is okay with baby Jesus in a manger. But they just want us to leave him there, Right? I mean, at least all the people I know, I know Bill O'Reilly always finds like 12 people that hate Christmas and they ruin his Christmas, but I don't know who those people are. For the large majority of people, most people are good with baby Jesus in a manger. Jesus the teacher, Jesus the good moral teacher, those kinds of things. The rabbi, yeah, sure. But they just say, don't bring him out of the manger and start talking all this Savior stuff. The problem is, that's the announcement that the angels made. It's the only reason he came. Yeah, he did a whole lot of other stuff, but it was to point to one thing, is that he was the Savior. And some people will say, yeah, but golly, that sure is ex in, uh, exclusive, isn't it? I mean, how could you make the exclusive claims that Jesus is the only way? Well, I didn't. I'm just quoting him. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wasn't that a little narrow? He said it was narrow, too. I don't know. Just read the book. Except it's exclusively inclusive. You know what I mean? Everybody's invited. Yeah, come to me all, all. You've been trying to do it on your own and you're tired of it? You're invited. Come to me, all. Everybody's invited. Also, everybody gets in the same way. Regardless of what you used to do, there's not like a VIP line and then, hey, you've got to come around the back. Don't tell anybody you're here. None of that. All of us come in the same front door. His name is Jesus. And, and, he's already paved the way. You don't have to do anything, anything to buy your ticket in, but Jesus has already paved the way. And so this year at Christmas, the message is that you need Jesus. Is he Lord of your life? Or have you just been kind of believing in little baby in a manger and you've never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ? C.S. Lewis says it this way. C.S. Lewis, probably my favorite author. My favorite book's Mere Christianity. I read it every January. And here's the way he says it. And I think it's great 
um, especially at Christmas time. He says this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. And you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. I think the angels on Christmas Day would lean in and say, Amen, we agree. That's our point exactly. Fear not. Fear not. I bring you good news that will bring great joy. That today, that today, a Savior has been born to you. Messiah, yes and amen. For any who would trust him as Lord. So my question is very simple. Is Jesus your Lord? Have you ever come to the place in your life, not that you just believe that he was the Son of God, that you put your faith, your trust, your hope in him and him alone, that you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, that that you stepped off the throne of your own soul and you invited Jesus to take his rightful place as king of your life. And when that happens, the accounts are changed. You're forgiven, and not just forgiven, but adopted into his family as a full heir, a full heir of God. I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes and just, just right where you are. Ask yourself this question, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit speaks in your heart right now and says, fear not, do not be afraid, that he has made a way for you that was impossible and you do not have to be afraid. And that for you right now, you could surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, that you could admit that you need a Savior and that you've tried to be Lord and it ain't working that you would believe that when Jesus lived and died and was resurrected, that that counted for you and that you would confess him as Lord and Savior. And I know some of you right now are pushing back and say, but you don't know what I've done. Let me tell you, the whisper in your ear, Ed, is not from your heavenly Father. That is from the enemy of the gates of hell that trembles to think that there are some people right now bending their knee to the Lordship of Christ. Or some of you think, yeah, but I've been a Christian my whole life. That is impossible, that Jesus came to save you maybe even from your own goodness, that you need him as a savior. And so if you would say, that's me, I admit that I need a savior. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he accounted for me, and I'm ready to surrender my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Just pray that. Just tell God right now. Just tell him that. There's no magic words that you can say that saves you. It's Christ's death and resurrection, and you're receiving that by his grace. That's how you're saved. And if that's you, and you say, God, here I am, I'm ready to surrender, would you just raise your hand and say, God, here I am, I've just surrendered my life to the Lordship of Christ. Put them up high and say, God, here I am, I'm surrendering my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the announcement of the angels 2,000 years ago that is just as true this, this morning in this place as it was back then to shepherds in a field. That this day, King Jesus has taken up his rightful place on the throne of the hearts of men and women for your glory, God. God, I thank you so much that every single one of us are invited for all who would receive the grace poured out for us. God, I thank you that in you there is joy, in you there is peace, in you there is life. 
And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just move in this place and continue to draw men and women unto yourself. And God, we give you and you alone the praise because you're the only one that can save. We pray it in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey, would you please stand? We are going to respond. We're going to respond. Just like the angels did, we are going to respond. Because when we have been saved from the muck and the mire, we've got one response, and that is thank you, thank you, thank you. We respond in a few ways here. One, we're going to join our voices together, and we're going to sing to Jesus. Also, some of you might want to come down to the altar and just lay something at his feet, and you can cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Those of you that call 1122 your home church, we respond by bringing our first and best, our tithes and offerings, because he first loved us by giving his best in Jesus Christ. You can do that on your app. You can do that electronically at the kiosk back there. You can do it in the giving boxes around. However you need to respond, let's respond.